I want to direct your attention to the book of 1 Thessalonians again, chapter 5. This morning we're going to look at verses five or verses 1 through 4. As I mentioned last week, we're in a section now where Paul is writing to remind the church at Thessalonica, and he's writing to remind us about the return of Jesus Christ. Last week we looked at chapter 4, verses 13 through 18, where he talked about the coming of our Lord Jesus. This morning we're looking at a passage that deals a little bit with the times and what that day will be like. Then next week, as we look at verses 5 through 11, we'll be looking at, okay, the Lord's coming back. There will be a day of judgment. So, Father, what would you have us do to be ready for that day? So with that outline in mind, I direct your attention now to verses 1 through 4 of chapter 5. Hear the word of the Lord. Now concerning the times and the seasons, brothers, you have no need to have anything written to you. For you yourselves are fully aware that the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. While people are saying, there is peace and security, then sudden destruction will come upon them as labor pains come upon a pregnant woman, and they will not escape. But you are not in darkness, brothers, for that day to surprise you like a thief. Would you bow with me in prayer? Oh, Lord, I thank you for the promises we have read already this morning in your word. I thank you for the glorious truths that we have sung in praise and in worship unto you. And Lord, most of all, I thank you that you are here with us today, that you are gracious and merciful. But Father, as we read this passage, we ask you to work in our hearts and minds. I pray, Father, that you would bring us to grasp anew the reality of the day of judgment. And that, Father, we would be willing and work to change accordingly. So, Father, your word will accomplish the purpose for which you send it forth. I pray this morning that we'll find hearts and minds eager, eager to receive your word. In the name of Jesus, I pray. Amen. You know, the feeling of something being left incomplete is... uncomfortable it leaves us hanging this sense that there, there, there needs to be more there needs to be resolution we don't like that unsettled feeling when something is left undone maybe it's a, a sentence left unfinished because of an interruption or maybe it's a, a movie that you've seen where at the end of it the bad guy is not caught and justice is not served, and you walk out of the theater or you turn off your TV at home thinking, that's just not right. The bad guy is supposed to be caught and pay for what he has done. We want resolution. We desire for there to be resolution. We want clear, a clear conclusion to the things and the troubles of this world. That's why when you read through the Psalms, you will frequently come across this one question. How long, O oh Lord? How long, O oh Lord? It's not just a question lifted up here on earth. In the book of Revelation in chapter 6, 
When the fifth seal is opened and John sees this, this vision of heaven, he sees the very altar of God. And underneath the altar are martyrs. Brothers and sisters in the faith who have given their very lives in service to Jesus. And what does he find when he opened the fifth seal? I saw under the altar the souls of those who had been slain for the word of God and for the witness that they had borne. Now look what they are saying. They cried out with a loud voice, O sovereign Lord, holy and true, how long before you will judge and avenge our blood on those who dwell on the earth? How long, O Lord? How long will it be before you bring vindication? And notice, if you were to read on in this chapter, these saints are not rebuked for this question. Our Lord doesn't say to them, don't, don't ask of that. Don't seek vindication. Don't seek justice. Rather, the Lord tells them, be patient. Just a little while longer. It's great comfort to us. As we stand by the, the graveside of those that we love and our hearts are broken and we cry out, Lord, how long will death continue to exercise its icy grip on this earth? If you've ever felt the sting of betrayal or the pain of being treated unfairly, you've probably asked the same question. How long, O oh Lord? Well, God has promised that vindication will come. He has given His word that He will indeed right the wrongs of this world. He has made a commitment to bring about the conclusion and the resolution to this world so that evil will never have the last word. The scripture teaches us that this resolution will come on a particular day. A day the Bible calls the day of the Lord. Now this phrase is found in verse 2. You yourselves are fully aware that the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. Now as I've mentioned this section starting at verse 13 going through the end of verse 11 of chapter 5 is really one main idea dealing with the return of Jesus Christ. So we find now that as Paul moves his way through what will take place when Christ returns that the day of the Lord is associated with the return of our Lord Jesus. But keep in mind that the day of the Lord is not a New Testament concept only. It's found in the Old Testament. There are very strong descriptions about what that day will be. For example, when the day of the Lord is described in the Old Testament, Ezekiel 7, 7 calls it a day of trouble. Hosea 1, 9, it's a day of rebuke. Isaiah 10, 3 is a day of punishment. It continues... It's a day of vengeance, according to Isaiah 63.4. Jeremiah 51.2 says, It is a day of doom. Zephaniah 2.2. It is a day of the Lord's anger. Amos 5.18-19 is really a good summary of this. Amos is writing to those who are in Samaria that are feeling comfortable and are at ease and they pray flippantly that the day of the Lord would come because they think they're okay they're thinking when the day of the Lord comes God's going to get them 
And Isaiah says, woe to you who desire the day of the Lord. Why would you have the day of the Lord? It is darkness, not light. Look at this imagery. As if a man fled from a lion and a bear met. So you encounter a lion and you try to run to escape and you run into the arms of a grizzly. Or you go into a house thinking you're safe and you lean against the wall as if to wipe the sweat off your brow and say, I'm sure glad I got away from that. And as you lean against the wall, a snake bites you. It's a warning. Unless we think that this idea of the day of the Lord and this language of Anger and vengeance and justice is relegated only to the Old Testament. I would just share with you one example from the New. There are many I could have chosen from, words even from the mouth of Jesus himself. But just one I would remind you of, 2 Peter 3.10. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief. Then the heavens will pass away with a roar, and the heavenly bodies will be burned up and dissolved, and the earth and the works that are done on it will be exposed we shy away from such language because it makes us uncomfortable and quite frankly it should we should not try to dumb down these warnings and these descriptions of what that day will be like some have pointed out that we here in the west at ease in North America shy away from such language because we don't understand what true suffering and injustice is about because when you speak with cultures and believers in the eastern part of the world cultures that speak of honor more they understand that justice is crucial for example President Mobutu ruled the Democratic Republic of the Congo from 1965 to 1997 when he was forced out of power the country collapsed and just as we are seeing with Afghanistan in the news today, the Re Democratic Republic of the Congo slid into conflict and chaos. British pastor Mark Minnell tells a story of a, a friend that he made in one of the adjoined countries, a man by the name of Emma. Emma had lived in Congo. He literally witnessed the country fall apart and he witnessed atrocities that were committed against his friends and his family members. Emma, his wife, and his three daughters escaped Congo on foot. Weeks later, they arrived in Uganda as refugees with nothing. For months, they lived in one room without water or electricity and only enough money to buy food every other day. Amazingly, however, God was at work. And Emma, in telling Pastor Mark Minnell the story, said he walked past a seminary one day and he felt the Lord stirring his heart. For Emma was a believer, but he felt the Lord stirring his heart to become a, a pastor. It was there that he met Mark. They struck up a friendship. And one evening they were talking with one another in the library. And Emma began to open up his heart and share about the violence and the injustice that he had witnessed and suffered. And he started to weep openly. Even though African men never weep in public, Emma said these sobering words. Listen, church. He said, you know, Mark, I could never believe the gospel if it were not for the judgment of God. Because I will never get justice in this world. But I couldn't cope if I was never going to see justice done. 
Pastor Minel comments, we in the West recoil from God's justice for a very simple reason. We've hardly had to suffer injustice, but most people around the globe recognize that God's justice is praiseworthy and great. Of course, His mercy and redemption are even greater, but we need His perfect justice. The day of the Lord is the day that God will bring about justice. And as I said earlier, it is associated with the return of Christ. You can see the connection as Paul flows in the text from talking about how the dead in Christ will rise first and we will meet Christ. And then that is a signal. The trumpet sound is that signal. Not only is the dead in Christ rise, but it is the signal that the day of the Lord has begun. Because in the Old Testament, if you read through those passages I mentioned earlier, you will find that the day of the Lord is frequently signaled by the blast of a trumpet. So you understand that when Jesus returns, it gives great comfort and change and vindication to those who are saved, but it brings about crisis for the unsaved. One event that will bring either great joy or great pain. This illustration falls, falls, falls far short. And in fact, it even seems frivolous, but it makes the point of how one event can do both. As I've grown older, the days of riding carnival rides have long since passed me. I don't do spinny things anymore. But when the kids were younger, they used to love riding on them. So we had taken the kids to a carnival, and uh, I think Ellen was old enough, and she was riding this thing, and all it did is went in a circle. And this time, she was with a friend, so we were able, Jody and I, just to stand with the other kids and watch her ride. So we watched her go by, and her face was just full of joy because Ellen loved spinny things. All right, so she's having the time of her life. But then we noticed as the thing was going around, there was a parent on the ride with the child. He was hanging over the side of the car, and he was not having a good time. In fact, we quickly found out that he had had lunch shortly before getting on that ride, if you know what I mean. One event, two very different outcomes. That's the day the Lord Jesus returns. Now, the Bible is clear. We do not know when that day will be. But the Bible does tell us some things about the coming of that day. The first thing it tells us is this, three things. One, it will come suddenly. Look at verse 2. You're aware that the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. That metaphor is meant to describe the sense of suddenly. In such a way that there is no time to prepare. It comes quickly. For if you had known that the thief was coming and when he was arriving, you would have been prepared. I mean, it's like in that classic Christmas movie, Home Alone, when Kevin is aware that the thieves, the wet bandits, are going to be coming to his house at 9 that night. What does he do? He sets out this incredible plan to be ready for when the thief is coming. But I can tell you one thing, burglars never RSVP. They show up unexpected. No time to prepare. And the point is that because this day comes very suddenly, you must be prepared beforehand. Not only will the day come suddenly, it will come unexpectedly. Look at verse 3. While people are saying there is peace and security, then sudden destruction will come upon them. People are saying peace and security. They're not expecting this. Now this phrase is a bit of a jab at the Roman government. 
the time Paul was writing, the propaganda machine of the Roman Empire was stating the Pax uh, Romana, the peace of Rome, that they had given peace to the entire empire, which was really not accurate because there were always rebellions breaking out. But they were promoting this idea that everything is secure. Caesar's in charge. The army is there. Everything's good. And so Paul reminds you when there's peace and security, sudden destruction will come. Jesus said the same thing about the day of the Lord. Look at this passage from Matthew 24. For as were the days of Noah, so will be the coming of the Son of Man. For as in those days before the flood, they were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage. Now look at those things. Is there anything out of the ordinary there? They're eating. They're drinking. It doesn't speak of carousing. It's talking about everyday life. People are going through the normal seasons of life, marrying and, and getting married. There was no expectation of the flood. And then he says, until the day when Noah entered the ark, as they were unaware, until the flood came and swept them all away, so will be the coming of the Son of Man. Remember, Paul associates the day of the Lord with the coming of Jesus. So it's speaking to this unexpected nature of the day of the Lord. Suddenly, in the normal everyday activities of life. And there's a final, a third thing. It will come with certainty. Look at the third metaphor that is mentioned there. It will come upon them as labor pains come upon a pregnant woman and they will not escape. The point is that labor pains, you may have a general time frame as to when the baby may be due, but labor pains may come unexpectedly. But they will come with certainty. Pregnancy does not last forever. And all the mothers said, Amen. That's his point. There will come a time where the labor pains begin. There will come a time when the baby, as it were, comes. That's why he says they will not escape. There's certainty to this. At some point, judgment's coming with certainty. And it will be unexpected. And suddenly, in the 1880s, if you wanted to be in the place where all the rich and the famous were going, you would have ended up in Johnstown, Pennsylvania. Because in the 1880s, it was the thriving area on the eastern seaboard. You had the Cambria Ironworks there, the Pennsylvania Railroad. People were moving in. It was covered with forest all around. In fact, the richest people of that time, men like Andrew Carnegie and Andrew Mellon, came out of Pittsburgh to come to Johnstown to fish at a private club and hunt in the woods. In fact, an earthen dam had been built to modify the lake for fishing. On May 30th, 1889, a huge rainstorm came through that area, flooding Johnstown with 10 inches of rain in a short period of time. The next day, the town lined up for a parade that had been scheduled weeks in advance. In fact, the Methodist pastor, H.L. Chapman, said, The morning was delightful. The city was in its gayest mood with flags, banners, and flowers everywhere. The streets were more crowded than they had ever been before. And about the time the parade was just beginning, the dam above town that had been built collapsed. It's estimated that four billion gallons of water hit Johnstown traveling at 40 miles per hour at over 60 feet high people began running for cover 
2,000 people were killed that day out of the 30,000 people that were in town. Even now, the Johnstown flood remains behind the Galveston hurricane and the events of 9-11 as one of the worst cases and greatest tragedies in American history. In each of those cases, life was fine until it wasn't. This day will come. Paul writes this in verse 1. You don't need to be reminded of this. And while we don't know details, we do know the coming of the Lord Jesus will bring about that day. Judgment will begin after the resurrection of the dead, and the Father will judge through the Son. And on that day, our deeds will serve as material evidence as to the validity of our faith. Judgment, as we stand before the Lord, as everyone stands before the Lord, the judgment will include our works. Now let me be clear, we are not saved from judgment by our works. But the book of James is clear that our works will give evidence to the truth of our faith. So we are not saved apart from works, but works demonstrate that the Lord has changed our hearts. So our works will be judged. Our words will be judged. Jesus says that every word uttered, every careless word will be judged. Not only will our works and our words be judged, but our thoughts and our motives. Our Lord knows the heart. Now, if you are hoping to get through the judgment of God unscathed, let me remind you that to do that, all you have to do is to live perfectly, speak perfectly, and think perfectly. That's all. Those three things. And if you can't do those, you're in trouble unless you believe in the gospel of Jesus Christ. Jesus lived perfectly, spoke perfectly, and thought perfectly. Yet he died on the cross. He died to take the judgment of God on behalf of all who would believe. So the glorious truth for the believer is this. On that day when we stand before God, we recognize that we would be undone because we haven't lived, we haven't, haven't thought perfectly, spoke perfectly. But we will be able to say, but the Lord Jesus has paid the price for us. His righteousness is my righteousness by faith. So if you believe and repent of your sins, calling out to the Lord Jesus, you will be covered on that day, and that day will be a day of joy. But it also means that you're not in darkness about the reality of that day. Now next week we'll look at what we need to do in light of that. But this morning I plead with you to consider the awful reality of God's judgment. William Willimon served for years as the dean of the chapel at Duke University. A very prolific author and speaker, he reflected on a time very early in his ministry where he served at a small country church in Georgia. One Saturday morning, William said that he and his wife went to a funeral in another small country church that was not of his denomination. Now, William Willman said that he grew up in a big downtown church, very proper, very high church. So he had been to funerals before, but never a funeral like this. 
He said as they sat down and the funeral service began, the casket was left open. And the funeral consisted of the sermon being brought by the preacher. Now, some of you know what country rule preachers can preach like because you've been there. You know what happens when they get going. Just to remind you, I can go there. William Wilman said that the preacher stood and he pounded the pulpit and he looked over the casket and he said these words. It's too late for Joe. He might have wanted to get his life together. He might have wanted to spend more time with his family. He might have wanted to do that. But he's dead now. It's too late for him, but it's not too late for you. There's still time for you. You can decide. You are still alive. It is not too late for you. Today is the day of decision. And then the preacher went on to tell a story of how a greyhound bus ran into a funeral procession. And he said, procession, he said, and that could happen today. So you should decide. Get your life together. It's too late for old Joe, but it's not for you. William Willimon said he and his wife got in the car and as they were driving home, he was seething. He was so angry at that preacher. So he, he, he spoke to his wife and he said, Have you ever seen anything as manipulative and insensitive to that poor family? I found it disgusting. His wife said this, I've never heard anything like that. It was manipulative, it was disgusting, it was insensitive, and worst of all, it was true. It was true. I plead with you this morning, don't wait. If you are not certain of your walk with the Lord, don't wait. In just a moment, Michael's going to come and we will stand and sing and I'll be at the front to receive anyone who wants to come. When you come and you say, Pastor, I want to be sure I'm ready, what I'm going to ask you to do is just wait on the front row. Then when the service is done, we'll take time to speak and to talk about following Jesus. Let's pray together. Gracious Lord, your word is true. And your word tells us that there is coming a day when all will stand before you. And the only way that we can be ready for that day is by placing our faith in the Lord Jesus. So, Father, I pray that you would work this morning, that we may have certainty that on the day of darkness, we will be found as children of the light. In your name I pray. Amen.